Well, let's begin to make our way back to our seats. I'm going to open in prayer as we get started. Let's pray together, church family. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. I'm so grateful to be here with my brothers and sisters and to be here with even new faces in this room, God. We're so grateful for that. God, we know that there is no such thing as an accident or a coincidence. But, Lord, you truly hold this world in the palm of your hand. And even right now, God, you brought each of us here gathered together to sing to you, to hear about you, and in a moment to witness what you've done in the lives of others. And so, God, our great ambition is to do the very thing we were created for, and that's to bring you glory. Our lives are for you, and we know, Lord, that apart from you we can do nothing, yet in you we can do all things. And so, Lord, even for those who are here today who are far from you, whose hearts have been hardened toward you, God, I pray you would begin to chip away at some of those scales and, and chip away at some of the, the, the hard-heartedness that they have. And, Lord, help them uh, see you and for your beauty and for your goodness and to even grow to love you, God, and see you as their Lord and Master. So, Father, even right now, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak through me, through my weakness, that your strength would be made perfect. And, Lord, for each of us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Man, it's great to be here with you guys. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it today. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sick, actually, but I'm, I've got tons of DayQuil in me right now, so, so I feel great. Um, but I'm grateful I'm here right now to, to preach and open God's word for you, with you guys. Um, I love our God, and I love talking about him, and I'm grateful for all that he's done. You know, last week we celebrated Easter, which is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. He rose from the dead. He conquered death. And the evidence of his resurrection is, is many. There are many evidences. There, there is the evidence of the empty tomb. There's the evidence of even his enemies not being able to prove that he stood dead. There's the evidence of his disciples choosing to lay their lives down and dying for Jesus, who they saw resurrect from the dead. There's the evidence of the constant changed lives that God has done throughout history. And today we're going to continue to look at that. There are seven people who are getting baptized today. Yes, praise God. And baptism is a display of what God can do still today in resurrecting people's lives from the dead, so to speak. Baptism says, I have died to my old self and I have risen to life to become a new person. See, God is still in the business of resurrecting lives. Jesus is still at work. And so I'm glad to, to point us in that direction as we move forward here. We've been doing a series in the book of Mark, which is a story of Jesus' life, and ultimately his death, and his resurrection. And the book of Mark, we titled the series, Follow Me. And we've used a white flag to symbolize the picture of what, of what we want this follow me to look like. A white flag is to surrender. It's to lay down your life. It's to say, you know what, I'm going to give up my own will and choose to follow. And so today we're going to talk about more about Jesus' life. And we're going to take a look at some things that went on in his life and he was hated for. 
you may or may not know, Jesus didn't have a lot of friends in the religious circles that he ran with. They hated him intensely and ultimately led to his death and resurrection. Today we're going to find ourselves in the book of Mark chapter 2, verse 23, through Mark 3, verse 6. So if you have a Bible, would you turn there? And we say this every Sunday, but there is a Bible in the pew in front of you. There's a blue Bible there. And uh, you can use that Bible. And we say this, and this is true. If you don't own a Bible, consider that Bible our gift to you. We want you to have God's words in your hand, and we believe in the power of the Scriptures. So again, if you don't own a Bible, you can have the one in front of you. We're going to find ourselves in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Now, what page is that in the Pew Bible in front of you guys? 838. 838. As we get ready to go here, there's a series of events that took place in these days in Jesus' life, and people hated him for it. The, the first one is this. There was a time where Jesus looked at a man who was paralyzed, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leader is like, How, wh- who do you think you are that you can forgive sins? And Jesus says, well, is it harder to tell a paralyzed man to walk or to forgive sins? And then Jesus tells him, stand up and walk, and he heals him. And from that moment on, they hated him because he claimed to forgive sins. And the next you see Jesus hanging out with people that they, the religious leaders in their day, deemed to be sinful people. The kind of people that a guy like Jesus shouldn't hang out with. And they look at Jesus and said, why would you hang out with sinners and tax collectors and people that are socially despised? So they, they hated Jesus for it. They hated him because he forgave sins. They hated him because he hung out with, he hung out with people that they thought were not right. They also hated Jesus because he redefined what they thought to be the way a religious life is to be lived out. And Jesus says, no, it's about what God wants for us, not about religious ritual. And so slowly, Jesus is not not making a lot of friends here. They're, They're getting pretty upset with him. And we find ourselves in our passage today, and there's two different passages we're going to look at. And we're going to see this tension thicken. The hatred toward Jesus gets deeper and deeper, ultimately leading to the fact that they want him dead, literally. Let's take a look at verse 23. I'm going to read this here for you guys. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and they made their way. His disciples began to pluck, as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look. Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God in the, in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now this is a passage that's kind of like, okay, what, what's going on here? Uh, this is a part of the Bible sometimes where we, we really need to get a, a stronger background because we're not really familiar with what's taking place. You see, Jesus is about to draw a line in the sand. He's about to make clear that he's about pleasing his Father in heaven and is less concerned about impressing the religious leaders around him. And there are times in our lives where we're, faced with various choices and difficult things we've got to do. And we've got to say, God, am I here to please you? Am I here to live for you? 
Or am I going to be overwhelmed with trying to please people around me or even live for myself? And some of you today are saying, you know what, yeah, I see that. And I hope and pray that as, as even as this passage unfolds, you will see that, man, God, you are worth it. You are worth it. You are greater than the opinions of others. And I hope and pray that you will see this God and live for him. Because ultimately, those who are getting baptized today, they've drawn that line in the sand, and they've stepped on the side of Jesus and say, I'm about what you are about. It says that this took place on one Sabbath. The Sabbath is the seventh day of the week, Sunday being the first day of the week, meaning the Sabbath is a Saturday. And in the Jewish faith, the Sabbath was an important day. That Saturday was very important. It was a day that God called his people to rest. Ever since the creation from Genesis chapter 2, God made this earth in six days, and on the seventh day, God rested. Not because he was tired, not because he was like, you know, those zebras were a lot of work. He rested to lay out an example for us to follow and for us to be able to say, you know what, it is wise to choose to rest. God also puts out in the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment says, to keep the Sabbath. In fact, this is what the Scripture says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters, your male servants or your female servants, or your livestock or sojourners who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God wanted us to have an example of rest. I appreciate a day of rest in the week. And oftentimes we, we, we can get the grind so hard that we don't, we don't stop to rest. And God laid out this law for our good. Saying, you know, it's good to rest. It's good to stop and pause. But he also said, make the Sabbath day holy. The word holy means set apart. And God wanted his people to set apart a day, not just to rest, but a day to focus on him. A day where we say, you know what, life gets busy, but God, this day, I'm going to stop everything and just express my devotion to you. The Sabbath was also a day where God showed his covenant his, his contract with his people saying, you are part of my family. My people will keep the Sabbath day. And so this is what God laid out for them. And so throughout Israel's history, the Jewish people kept the Sabbath day. And those who loved God found it as a beautiful thing. And those who despised God, it was an annoyance. They're like, really, God? I got to rest? I can't do these things? Well, God said not to work on the Sabbath day. He said, that's your day off. But what happened is the religious leaders began to say, well, what does it mean to work? What, what does it mean to actually work on the Sabbath day? Is, you know, running down the block, is that work? You're getting worked up. Is it not just going into work from 9 to 5, but is working also cleaning your house? And they began to think about this. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, we see this happen oftentimes among the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They created laws to protect the laws to protect the laws. And so I used the example two weeks ago of the parent who tells the child, don't go, when you play outside, don't go by the street. And they say, you know what? I don't want you to be tempted by the street. Actually, don't play outside. Stay in the house. And you know what? I don't want you to be tempted by the front door, so go in your room. I don't want you to be tempted by, get in your bed. And you create laws upon laws to protect from the street. And so, you see, God created a law, like, created boundaries to protect us, 
But we as humans, oftentimes, we add rules upon rules, and ultimately it's lost its purpose. And that's what happened in Jesus' day with the religious leaders. They lost their purpose. They created laws. In fact, they decided that working on a Sabbath was taking 1,999 paces. You were allowed to take that many paces. But if you take a 2,000th pace, you've broken the Sabbath law. And so a pace was about 800 meters, which makes about half a mile. So you weren't allowed to work, walk more than half a mile on the Sabbath. So you see, they're making laws upon laws. And Jesus was not impressed by that. Jesus says God's not impressed by us thinking we can do things to make God love us. And so Jesus is here. It's the Sabbath day, and his disciples are walking through a field, taking grains and eating food. And the religious leaders are saying, Jesus, that's illegal to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus tells them, all right, let me ask you, let me tell you, do you you remember this story? And he tells them this story about King David before he was king. He was on the run. And he shows, up in a, he shows up at a tabernacle or a temple of sorts. And he goes in and says, you know what? Me and my men are super hungry. We've been on the run. Can you give us some bread? And the priest at that place says, the only bread we have is holy bread. And David's like, look, we're about to die. Give us this to eat. And David takes his bread and he eats it. Well, clearly the religious leaders would say that's unlawful. But what God wants us to see is that the good of people takes precedence over our religious ideas. And so Jesus says, you're misunderstanding why God gave us the Sabbath. And he says here in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man. It was made for man's benefit. It was not made, it was not so that man can have the Sabbath. And what Jesus is saying is this, God created this law for your good, but not for you to lord it over other people. But what's fascinating is this last verse, verse 28. And Jesus says, so the Son of Man, which is a name for himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is a fascinating statement Jesus is making. Because Jesus is claiming authority over the Sabbath day. But the Sabbath was something that God himself created. So Jesus essentially is putting himself in the place of God saying, I have authority over the Sabbath. Again, we see Jesus' claim to be God right there in front of these religious leaders, and they weren't happy about it. And so you see that Jesus was the one who forgave sins, who hung out with sinful people, who didn't go with their flow, and now is redefining the Sabbath and saying, I hate Jesus. They're like, I don't like him. Well, what's about to happen in chapter 3, he's going to push them over the edge, so to speak. They're going to have a, a unique kind of hatred for Jesus when Jesus draws, again, the line in the sand. Let's take a look at chapter 3, verse 1 here. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. I'm going to pause there. Jesus shows up again on another Sabbath day in the temple, in the synagogue, I'm sorry, and There's a man there who's ill. He's got a withered hand. And there, again, the religious leaders are saying, it's illegal to heal somebody on the Sabbath. You see, they had this misunderstanding. They miscalculated what pleased God. They miscalculated what was truly honoring to God. I miscalculated two weeks ago. It was a Saturday night. We had our baptism service. And um, 
I turn on the baptistry on Saturday night because in my mind it takes about five hours to fill up. I miscalculated because last time I filled it up, I only put one of the knobs on. But this time I put on two. And then I went home. And Luis Flores came to my house and he's like, hey, is the baptistry running? I'm like, yeah, it takes like five hours. like, five hours? I'm like, yeah, it takes five hours. So he leaves. He's like, you sure? I'm like, yeah. He leaves and it's like seven o'clock at night. It's been running since like five o'clock. We get, we're getting, starting to get the kids to bed, and I'm thinking, you know what? No, I, I put one. I'm starting to do the math here. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. So I go to Erica. I was like, babe, I got, I got to run to the brook. So I run in through the back door here. I open the back door, and I hear is this. Shh. And I just panicked. I ran up the stairs, came over here, turned off the knob, and I'm seeing the water flow over the baptistry. And I run down into the, to the basement, and the lights are off. I step in, and psh, first step. So I run into the kitchen, turn on the lights. I think I could get electrocuted. Turn them off. I run into the <laughs> fellowship hall. There's like two inches of water downstairs. I start hyperventilating. I pick up the phone to call Erica twice. She didn't answer. She's putting the kids to bed. And then I just stopped. I'm like, what's she going to do? There's, there's nothing she can do right now. So I was like, what, what am I going to do? I had a water bottle, 20 ounces, opened it up, and I chugged it. Because I was like, like, and I thought, I've got to go to Home Depot. You see, the water was flowing into the kitchen and knocked down all the, those, those foam ceilings. I mean, it was, it was down, like down. Everything was soaked. And Erica's like, you should put, in, put like an SOS on Facebook saying, come and help me. I was like, I'm not doing that. You know, you know how embarrassing that is? <laughs> so then she reached out to a couple guys, and Chris and Jeremy, and then Val came by, and it was like 1,000 gallons of water. I'm not exaggerating. Unbelievable. I miscalculated. Miscalculated. We didn't do that again today. Uh, you see, the religious leaders in Jesus, they miscalculated. They thought God was pleased with them going through the religious ritual, and their hearts weren't attached to it. And a lot of us get in this mindset where we think God is pleased if we do certain things. When God, what he does, he calls us to believe him. He calls us to put our faith in him. And yes, he wants us to live a life that honors him. But God's not impressed by you or me. He calls us to put our faith in him and to live for him. And so here Jesus is is here on a Sabbath day. Here's a man who has a disability right there in front of him. And the religious leaders are mad at the thought that he might have the nerve to heal this guy. Because they put their religious ritual above the good of of another person. And that's not how God operates. And Jesus is there. He sees this man. And he tells the man, come here. Come here. Calls him to himself. And Jesus knew what was going on here. In fact, some people even wonder if the Pharisees, these religious leaders, put this man there just to test Jesus. And now Jesus has a choice to make. Will he choose to do good to this man, or will he choose to fold under the pressures that others who are watching him were giving him? You know, my my daughter used to like watching The Little Mermaid, and there's a a place where, where Ariel is... Confronted with a choice. Is she going to trade her voice for legs? 
She's a little mermaid. So she can sing greatly, but she has fins, and she wants to get on this earth. And Ursula, the sea witch, says, I'll give you legs, but instead give me your voice. And then she says this. She says, life's full of tough choices, isn't it? And I remember even as a kid watching that thinking, man, that's true. And Jesus is here confronted with a tough choice, the kind of choices you are confronted with. Will you choose to do the things that please God and choose to put your faith in him and live for him? Or will you choose to live for yourself or what others think of you? And Jesus is here. He sees this man with a very real need. And Jesus himself knows that he has what it takes to heal this man. And he tells the man, come here. Verse 4, Jesus asks them a question, his onlookers. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Penetrating questions. Here this man has a need, and Jesus is saying, well, you guys have all these different laws you've placed upon the Sabbath. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm? And the answer would be, well, clearly we're supposed to do good. But what if good breaks their religious laws? And so Jesus is helping them see here that God's about something different than what they have set up. God cares about people. And every law that God has set up is for the benefit of other people, not to put a weight on our shoulders. Some of you have a background, maybe a religious background, where you're constantly trying to earn God's love. Maybe you feel like you've got to pray a certain amount of times a day. Maybe you feel like you've got to do so many good deeds every day in order for God to love you. And at the end of the day, that's a weight you carry, isn't it? Because you never know if you did enough. This is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith says we can't do anything to please God in our own self, but that Jesus came to this earth and made a choice to become a man and to live this life and to die on a cross so that when we put our faith in Jesus, God says, you are forgiven. I am pleased in you. And because we are forgiven, and because we know that our lives now please God, we now live for God as an outflow of our faith. We don't live for God to get him to love us. We live for God because he loves us through faith in Jesus. And so Jesus is there asking him this question, is it lawful to do good or to do harm? But then he asks the second question, is it lawful to save life or to kill it? And you and me are thinking, that's kind of extreme, Jesus. No one's talking about killing life here. The guy with the withered hand, what are you talking about? Well, Jesus knows the hearts of people. And he actually did know that they were on the brink of wanting him dead. And so Jesus basically is saying, if I do good right now, you're going to want me dead. And so Jesus asked this question, and it says here, but they were silent. Jesus has a way of asking questions that silence people. And then this, verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Grieved with anger. The word anger can also be translated wrathful. I mean, Jesus had his deep-seated anger, saying, guys, are you serious? Here this man has a need. And you're going to be mad at me for healing him. Your hearts are so hard. This is the human condition, family. 
We, from our birth, are hard-hearted people. Either we can't see God when he's clearly working around us, or we see God at work and we're unmoved by it. And maybe this is where you're at today. Because in a few moments, I'm going to invite people up to share their testimony before we baptize them. And you're going to see that God is at work. And your heart is going to have a choice. Are you going to say, God is at work, but be unmoved by it? Or will you say, God is at work, I need to live for him? That's the choice you've got to make. Hard hearts see God at work and are unmoved and push him away. Jesus was grieved at their hard heart and angered at it. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Jesus chose to heal this man that day. Well, verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is not how to arrest Jesus, not how to exile him. They wanted him destroyed. And from this point on in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus knows that his religious leaders want him literally dead. They wanted him dead. This is ultimately what put him on the cross. He chose to do the will of his heavenly Father in order to save people. Our condition may not be a withered hand, but it's a withered heart. It may not be a withered hand, maybe it's a hard heart. Jesus came to this earth to bring healing to your heart. If you would put your faith in him, turn away from your sins, what the Bible calls repentance, and say, God, I'm going to live for you. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. Now my life is yours. That's the decision the seven who are getting baptized today have made. And they have said, you know what? I want to please God with my life, even if others are not down with that. That's a hard decision to make. Life's full of tough choices, isn't it? But this is the choice that is worth it. In fact, I was interviewing one of those who were getting baptized, and, um, and I just asked them, you know, what do you do when you're faced with these choices, when you're faced with peer pressures at school? They said, well, I'm, I want to choose God because I know what he has for me is ultimately best. I thought That's, that takes a lot of faith to say that because you're going to face pressures in life, pressures at work to be dishonest, pressures with sinful temptations, Pressures to try to live for other people. Pressures to cut people out of your life who you know want you to love the Lord. All kinds of pressures. The choice that God is calling you to make is a choice of white flag, surrender. Surrender to Jesus. Surrender to his will and God's desire for your life. Because Jesus is the one who has authority over our lives. And it's him who wants you to put your faith in him. So in a moment, or actually even right now, um, those of you who are getting baptized, come on up. There's seven of you. You know who you are. Come on up. Slide this over. Guys, how cool is this? So something I want you guys to know, when we uh, announce baptisms, we've talked 
we have a class, a baptism class. So no one gets baptized at the brook who hasn't gone through a baptism class. Sometimes we do a large class. Sometimes we've met one-on-one. You guys can come on over here a little more. Come right in front of everybody so they can see you. Um, And in this class, we describe for them what baptism is. And you've heard us announce this over the last few months. Baptism is an outward display of the inward faith we already have. Again, nobody here on this stage is getting baptized in order to be cleansed. No one here is getting baptized in order to be forgiven. They are getting baptized because God has cleansed them and has forgiven them. It is something God has already done in their hearts. Each of these here have put their faith in Jesus. And they say, I want to live for him. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And we, who taught the class, had the privilege of hearing each of their stories. And it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to hear what God has done. So I encourage you, even after they share just briefly, pull them aside downstairs and ask them more details. Say, man, tell me more. Tell me more of what God has done in your life. And in a few moments, they're going to be entering into the waters, and we have different leaders from the brook who are going to be, ba- be baptizing them. And so this is something that's very important for us. And we have our kids coming up right now because we want our kids to witness this. Um, this is something at the brook. We, we take serious God's call for us to raise our children to love God. And we want them to witness what God has done in the lives of people. So with that being said... Cynthia, you're first on my list here. (laughs) Hi. Hello. Hi. Um, Sorry, this is so different. Um, So I would say five years ago I was seen. Um, Throughout my life I have been going to different churches. Um, I've actually been baptized, I want to say, four times. (laughs) I'm not even joking. Um, But every time it wasn't because I was giving my life to Jesus. It was either like an emotional um, or because other people were doing it or because it just felt like I had to. And um, every time I did it, there was no um, action backed by my faith. Um, So when I got saved at 17 um, with Tony and Limati, um, I was like, "Eh, I've done it already. I don't got to do it. Um, But it was the first time that the gospel was real and that the truth of Jesus um, started changing me. Um, sorry. Um, and I, I even wanted to confess, um, there was this, these lies that because I've been saved five years, and because I'm on the worship team, that um, people were going to think something of me, um, or less of me, or I was less of a Christian because I was not baptized, which isn't true at all. Um, and... Um, so pretty much at 17, I had given my life to the Lord. I had, um, sorry, it's my mom, um, father issues. Um, so I began giving myself away to guys, um, and it left me feeling so empty and looking for things um, in love in all the wrong places to the point where I was just like, I don't know who I am, um, but I know that there's something in me that wants more than what this life has to offer. So when I heard the gospel, it was like the Lord had literally literally removed the scales from my eyes. Um, and I was able to see the beauty of Jesus, but I also saw the, the depth of my sin and um, that I needed a Savior. Um, so I gave my life to the Lord, um, devoted myself to Jesus, said that I was going to wait until marriage um, 
to be with another man. Um, and then four years later, I married my husband, Julian. Um, and we waited for our wedding night. And it was beautiful <laughs> and amazing. <laughs> um, um, but I love Jesus, and I just want to um, tell the world that I do and that I live for him. Um, yeah. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. Next up is Ari. And I just want to say, as, as others continue to share their stories here, um, each of you are going to hear different stories. And some of you say, man, I really relate to that. You might, you might hear Cynthia's story and say, that, that's where I'm at right now. And each of them, as they share different parts of their stories, we want you to see and say, man, that's where I feel like I'm at. But if God could change their life, he could change my life. And so we want you guys to hear that. Ari, share with us uh, your story. <laughs> so, yeah. When I was a little kid, I just... You know, did Everett's kid stuff, sat around, watched TV, you know, beating myself. But I had nothing of the Lord. I was just there pretty much. I didn't know what to believe in or anything. So when I was seven, we started going to Kaleo, which I know many of the people are here today. So hi, guys. Um, <laughs> so um, while I was there, I was about seven, and me and my mom were in the car, and she had asked me if I would given my life to Jesus. I was like, No. Like, why would I do that? But it seems cool. Sure, I'll do it. Um, so when we were in the car, I had done the prayer of salvation. And, but, of course, if you know me, you know I'm pretty quirky. And I added my own twist to the story. And um, while she was doing it, I started screaming. And she's like, what's wrong with you? And, um, and um, I had said, please don't close your eyes. We're in the car. If you close your eyes while we pray, we might crash. And we just started laughing. And it became kind of a fun thing compared to just sitting there and closing my eyes and hearing her talk. So by adding that, I kind of took it in better. And the moment still stays in my memory. And now I'm here with my past, which is for a long time from about age, well, till I was a baby, till about age seven, my dad wasn't around a lot. Um, and while he wasn't there, I felt the need to have one. So, sorry. And my mom and my dad and my grandparents were there for me a lot. But it was nothing like having my real biological father. So when I was seven, surprisingly, at a young age, he had had three strokes. And I thought I was going to lose him. And I didn't think, because I had a relationship with him before. If he dies, I have nothing of him. So um, when he had um, stayed alive and... He was there with me. His, my whole relationship with him turned around, and he felt the need to be with me more. And we now have a sh very, very strong bond. And I'm little daddy's girl. but So I think the people who were there for me before, like my aunt, my mom, my stepfather, my grandpa, who's raising his hand, um, <laughs> um, and my grandpa and my grandma and just anybody else who was there for me, you know who you are because you had a big impact on my life, and you can tell. Um, and now I just thank the Lord for all the people he's given me in my life, like Avian and Aaliyah. I've rekindled my relationship with them because I was friends with them when I was, like, four years old. I didn't even remember who they were when I re-met them. Um, <laughs> and that, now we're, like, best friends, and I couldn't imagine my life without them. Gio, right there. <laughs> 
best friend, Mia. You've always been there for me. So I just want to thank everybody for being here and, and supporting me. And now I'm getting baptized, and I'm ready to renew my life. Amen. Thanks for sharing. Good morning, church family. Um, Cynthia, Aria, Natalie, you guys are all brave, and uh, I'm fearful to be up here, but <clears throat> I'm also thankful. Um, all right. Um, so a life before Christ. The amazing thing is that his gospel message is far-reaching, and um, I've heard it when I was little. Um, but I didn't fully understand it, and it didn't take root either. Um, I got saved when I was 17 also, like Cynthia, um, and I was baptized uh, as a teenager, um, but I didn't have a life of full surrender. And uh, I like those lyrics today about nothing is hidden now and that I'm here, and that's why I'm up here today is to proclaim that that nothing in my life is going to be hidden from Christ and that I'm not afraid of my own reputation and what it might look like uh, when it comes to sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And uh, he is about building his kingdom, and it starts here in our hearts. And uh, I want to surrender my heart to Jesus daily. Um, and this past week, I've never known more my dependence on, on his grace. Um, but I'm laying hold of that promise, and I'm thankful for it. Uh, I, was, I was running for a long time because I was fearful of what kind of life would I inherit, you know, what kind of a life based on the decisions that I make. Um, but all those fears are nothing new to man, and that's why Jesus came. Our inheritance is ever Everlasting. And he wants us to share that inheritance in the kingdom that is to come and is being established now. Um, so if you excuse me, I'm ready to enter that baptismal. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Hello. Um, I think uh, I know God has worked in my life in many ways and many times before, but... Um, I'm going to share with you one specific time. Give me a few minutes. Um, my mother fed me the word of God and stories from the Bible for as long as I can remember, and still does to this day. She basically introduced me to the Holy Spirit. She always says when I was born, she surrendered me to God. Because of her, faith and prayer grew heavily in my heart. Before my life with Jesus, I went about life conscious of my limits, Limits such as knowing how many classes I was able to skip without failing. Or how many beers I was able to drink before I was unable to drive. Not the best perspective to have growing up, but certain events early in my life nurtured this way of thinking. And when it came to God and his word, I always knew how far from the righteous past I was able to drift away before I became lost. But little did I realize how lost I really was. I'm blessed to have seen the power of prayer a few times in my life, but I can't explain to you the joy that I felt having witnessed that power with my wife by my side. Jesus, just last fall, 
For the first time in my life, I fasted. I wanted to make solid my relationship with the Spirit of God. During that time, I was working for a company. I'll leave that company unnamed. <laughs> this company was literally the most unprofessional organization I was ever a part of. I was there for five years. At this job, I was threatened, ridiculed, and held from, pro for promo from promotion and more, all because I went against the grain trying to do what was right. Throughout those years, I often prayed and thanked God for allowing me to work and to provide. My wife was halfway into her pregnancy when I was informed I was getting laid off. For se fast forward several months later, everyone's application to the new job that was taken over was accepted except mine. I am convinced that by fasting, Jesus directly answered my prayer before I even prayed it. He set things in place that led me to a new opportunity before I knew I would be needing one. The reason I mentioned this job is not to talk about the hardships of work, but to show how Jesus delivers to those who believe that he is Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Son of God. I know in my heart that Jesus is the breath of life and the deliverer from sin. I know and trust that Jesus died on the cross that he carried so that my sins can be forgiven. For the rest of my life, I will walk along this path, knowing I will fail. I'll continue to pray and lead my family to the word of God the way my mother did for me. Today, I surrender my worries, my sin, my fear with my wife by my side and our beautiful nine-month daughter before us. One of God's gifts to man is the opportunity to enter the heaven with his wife and children. Today, that opportunity is promised. Amen. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm not good at speaking, so I wrote it down. Um, so my story starts with my parents. They were raised in a Catholic church. My father, the altar boy, and my mother in the back row, chewing her gum and getting slapped by her mother every Sunday. But still, with their awareness, with the church scene, they didn't direct us to live that same existence. However, my parents did make sure that we were baptized. Unfortunately, they raised us in an environment where it was okay to find out about new things. So growing up, I've always been curious, and I asked questions, but never truly got the answer that I needed to satisfy my quest. I believe very specific people were strategically placed in my life. My childhood best friend, who has been a believer in her life, sets that example. She's the one to introduce me to groups like ICI, which was the foundation of what helped me get some understanding of of having God in your life and seeing young people love God and, and being open about it, which encouraged me to believe. I think I was around, I'm not sure, I think 13, I don't know, um, when I believed Jesus was my Savior and I confessed my sins to God, received his forgiveness, and chose to live life that pleased God. The deeper I got into the church life, I always felt like if I go all in, then that's it, the party's over. I would have to be this way now. So slowly I let myself get distracted and lived for me. I did what I wanted and I partied and got into trouble and had my fun. My faith was lost somewhere. But I had my other bestie who's also a believer that I needed her during those high school days, those young adulthood days, having her around knowing that someone around me has faith 
kind of helped me stay on some type of walk. It was always in the back of my head, but at the same time, I was too busy rebelling, running away from him, and but he kept on finding me somehow. Then I met my husband, this guy I know I was meant to be with, even though he didn't walk that church life, he was, he has always had that lingo and has always been a man of God in my eyes. Together, we always visualized that perfect church where we can't find anything but anything good about it, where it fits us and, I'm sorry, together we always visualize that perfect church where we can't find anything bad about it, where it fits us and finally having our daughter, we decided that as a family we need to go to church. So after knowing that Eric has had his own church for a while, I finally decided to come visit and we fell in love instantly. We couldn't have found a better match for our family and I thank you guys for being just the way you guys are, real and beautiful. I've always had those people, I've always had people in my life for, um, I'm sorry, I've had all those people in my life for this moment. God has been commanding me for a long, long time, and I surrender. Here I am. God's will is for me to be a servant, and I want to obey Jesus. I am claiming my old self dead. I am no longer running. You found me. Amen. Amen. Great job. Good morning. Uh, the oldest person up here, I'll try not to take too much of your two or three minute timing. <laughs> okay. My name is Joe. Born in Cuba. Came from a Catholic family. Lived over there for about 11 years. Yes, I remember going to the churches, big churches, crosses everywhere with Jesus Christ on it. But really, didn't know what was going on. Came to the States. Yes, of course, we visited churches again. Again, crosses everywhere, Jesus on the cross, but really no education. Of course, parents got in a new state. They got to start working, doing a thing to move forward and help the family. Of course, you stop going to church. You start getting older. Guess what? No contact with church. You start doing other things. Luckily, I remember that word luck. I got a nice job, started making the money. Of course, now you're a teenager making money. You're getting older. You want to spend that money? You start doing things, hanging out with people, friends. You choose to do the wrong things. Of course, you get into trouble. But for some reason, all those years as a teenager making a good money legally, let me make sure that you understand that legally money because I don't know none of you here. <laughs> I wish to get to know you. Um, you start doing bad things and hanging out and Problems. But for some reason, I never really got caught up or got, let's say the word, busted. I don't know. I was lucky. Then comes a time when I lose my father. Everything goes downhill. What I mean by downhill is I try not to show too much emotions or say anything. I quit my good job. Everybody starts freaking out. What's he doing? But I don't say nothing. I just try to be my own individual and not give anybody problems. I start helping a friend out of all places, bar. But I do the early shift because I don't want to deal with the craziness at night. I meet an individual. He says, what are you doing behind this bar? I have no idea. I says, no, you don't belong back there. I don't even know who this man is. And he says, I have a job for you. And I said, I hope it's a good job because... 
The one I had was a real good job, making good money. So he introduces me to CPS, Chicago Public Schools. I start working with kids. Life totally starts changing. Boy, am I lucky. Wait a minute. There is no such thing as luck. Somebody's been watching me and keeping an eye on me and helping me out. Who is this person? You don't start realizing that you start seeing innocent people. Kids that don't know nothing. Your family, your nephews, your nieces, and everything. To make a long story short, I meet a beautiful woman with five kids. What do I do? Something tells me step in, help out. Do what you're supposed to do. Now I'm learning it's the godly thing to do. You know, help raise the family, teach them the right thing. Thank God, yeah, everybody's got their best. Good times, bad times, problems in every relationship. We're not perfect. We're all sinners. That's why I call this God's hospital of sinners. Um, Dr. Pastor <laughs> Eric. And Pastor Santiago, which has taught me a lot in the last four years. And the most important thing that I learned is my sons, one of my sons was really becoming a Christian after learning other kind of religions and me putting them through catechism in the Catholic schools and all that. But he became a Christian. Dad, you got to study this. You got to learn this. So I come back and start doing that. But one part that I'm not going to miss out is after I lost my father, that's when I started, what's going on? Then when I started learning about kids, I met my beautiful wife and her five angels. I lose a son at 19. I'm like, wow, what is this? What? Who are you? Why are you doing this? Pastor Santiago was the only one that was able to explain it to me. He's not yours. He was never yours. That's God's child. You're only here to raise him and teach him. It clicked. So that luck and everything that's been going on, it's not, you're not listening to the right person. So as time goes by, I'm trying to understand all this, and guess what? For those of you to make it real fast, they've been questioning who's this house with a white flag, I surrender. I put my white flag up. It's God, the one that's been telling me what you've been doing wrong. You're in the wrong path. Correct it. Change it. And that's why I made this step today in that choice to surrender to the Almighty. He's the one that's going to put us in the right path. So, brothers and sisters, surrender. everyone can you hear me yeah um, I just want to start off with reading 1 Corinthians 10 13 and I take that as my life verse um, it says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand when you are tempted he will show you a way out so that you can endure so with that um my entire life up until the point that I handed it over to Jesus was a lie. Ever since I was younger, I was bound in chains, some that were um, passed down to me and others that I put on myself. My heart was so turned off to everything that you probably wouldn't have been able to tell the difference from a rock on the ground. Um, 
But little girls don't just decide one day that they were going to rebel. There are warning signs. The enemy used all the things his tiny hands can hold to use against me growing up. Fatherlessness, anger, offense, abuse. Sorry. Emptiness, abandonment, rejection. He tore me apart for what seemed to be forever. Sure, I went to church here and there um, for the youth nights. It was a getaway, but I knew the reality of the condition of my heart. What God could change my circumstance. I was stubborn and constantly ran to everything else to fill my voids. Drugs, fighting, a boyfriend, just to name a few. Then one summer, God stripped me of everything that I was taking for granted. He took a roof from my head, food from my mouth, and people from my side. I guess you can say God placed me in the valley to learn who he is the hard way. The brokenness I thought I was dealing with was nothing compared to the way the Lord was about to shatter my walls. It just so happened that my situation was getting serious. I had to sleep. I needed a shower. I was hungry. So I called my aunt, who had always been praying for me and tried to guide me for so long, as long as I can remember. I went to stay with her the weekend that she was going away to some youth thing that she always, you know, constantly called me about. Hey, I want you to pray on the number 100 and um, read Titus 2. And I would just be like, I don't have time for this. Goodbye. Like, I don't want to talk to you. Um, so I ended up staying with her that weekend that, hey, you know, I'm leaving this weekend, so you're with me. You're coming with me. Um, I was not fond of it, or so I thought. Um, it took place in Kansas City, and I hated the entire ride there. Um, Cynthia, Cynthia was a witness to that. Um, sorry. <laughs> to make it short, the Lord had the key to open my shackles. I went in with no intention of being freed from my sin, and the Lord released every burden that was too much for me. For the first time, I can see my purpose in life. The Lord literally took me from my place of darkness and placed me in his presence. The ride back home was better than the ride there. I didn't know how God was going to change my situation, but I didn't care. I trusted him with my life, but with that, there was and is, you know, new hardships that I faced that have molded me into who I am today. Because I knew the truth coming back, um, the enemy worked harder to try to destroy what God had just repaired. He told me I wasn't ready to leave my old life. He told me I was not worth anything and that no one loves me. It was a constant battle within myself to try and remember who God says I am. I'm his daughter. I'm his beloved. I am his bride. These were all titles that gave me purpose and gave me hope. I'm not perfect in any way, but the Lord has blessed me with people who helped me remember God's purpose for my life. He gave me a husband and son who shaped me and point me back to the Father. He gave me a woman and a man who I'm comfortable with calling my spiritual parents. Each and every obstacle that I will come to face will never, never defeat the desire Jesus has put in my heart to run desperately to him. No enemy, no temptation can ever separate me from the one I can call my first love. My hope and my joy and my salvation rest in Jesus Christ.
Thank you, each of you, for sharing just a part of what Jesus has done in your life and how he saved you. Like I said, uh, we've got to hear a bigger version of their stories and hear how Jesus saved them from their sin and how they put their faith in him. So ask them. Talk to them about it. Uh, we we want to celebrate what God does in saving lives. In a few moments, we're, I'm going to pray with them, and we're going to get into the waters of baptism. If you're here today, and one of their stories or something in their life just triggered something in your heart. And maybe you felt like, you, or you feel like you're in a place in life where you can't get over the garbage that's, that's taken over you. You're stuck with addictions. You're stuck with a low self-esteem and you're acting out in a variety of ways. And your Father in Heaven is drawing you to Himself. And He's telling you to put your faith in Jesus as a forgiver of your sin and the giver of life, just as they did. After they get baptized, as we're singing here, we're going to have prayer counselors that are going to come up, and we'd love for you to come and pray with them. Whatever burden it is in your heart, or maybe someone else you're burdened for, we'll have prayer counselors in the front and back after the baptisms, and we would love to pray with you guys. So this time, I want to pray for, those, for all of you guys. Let's come together a little more. our heads together. God, I'm so thankful for these brothers and sisters of mine whom Jesus has saved by the power of the cross, having taken their sin upon his shoulders, and how he rose from the dead to give them a new life. God, your word says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And so, Father, I pray for each one of them here that they, God, would continue to live for you through the ups and downs of life. God, when they fail and when they sin, I pray they could run to the cross where they know they can find forgiveness. God, I pray that they will be courageous in telling friends and family members about you. And I pray that we as a church family would know how to come alongside of them and encourage them in their faith and spur them on. God, we ask that you would glorify yourself through their lives, continually as you've already begun to do. Lord, we love you and we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 What you're going to see is they get baptized. We're going to dunk them completely underwater. And you guys can begin to make your way to the the back room. We're going to dunk them completely underwater. And this is why. Going under the water symbolizes death. All right, we, we don't just put their, we don't keep them up a little bit. We bring them all under the water. But we've never kept anybody under the water. We, we, we don't leave them there. Because they've been raised to a new life through Jesus. And so baptism shows their death and their new life. And so we're going to celebrate this together. Let's all rise to our feet. And as we sing praises to our God, let's witness these baptisms for God's glory.